At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with Reem Asil, award-winning chef and owner of Reem's California and author of the beautiful new cookbook, Arabia. Her recipe for the simple, vibrant California fatouche salad that she serves at Reem's is this week's Genius Recipe on Food 52. And later in this episode, we will talk about this salad's roots in Arab cuisine and culture and the many genius tricks in Reem's version, and much more. But first, Reem brought me back to the kitchen of her childhood. My early cooking memories are not the nostalgic romantic uh, versions of cooking that one might think of a child of immigrants. I basically grew up on Kraft macaroni and cheese and top ramen, <laughs> which are delicious. Mm -hmm. My mom was definitely a crafty cook in the kitchen. She didn't have much time. So she, what, what I used to righteously say, shortcut things, but now being a working mom myself, uh, realized she was very smart about so pressure cookers, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we grew up with, the sound of that pressure cooker cooking. <laughs> I don't know if people remember it, but that sound of the shh <laughs> <laughs> as we're doing homework and, you know, getting ready to eat. We working parents all need those so much. Absolutely. The pressure cooker is yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, my mom is like, what is the Instapot method of all these recipes that you have in Arabia? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that is definitely on brand, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Has she switched over to the Instapot now? Oh, yeah. 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 She does the Instapot. In fact, we did a cooking demo where we had to do the ma'lube with the meat component in the Instapot so that we can speed up the process. She got no time to wait. <laughs> she could do like a one-pot stew with, lamb and vegetables in you know a matter of 30 minutes to 45 minutes which I really wow. appreciate yeah and have that on the table with with a side of rice in no time well a central component of the virtue of hospitality <laughs> that is pretty central to Arab culture is that sense of abundance mm -hmm. The generations before me, in particular my grandmother's generation, who experienced the trauma of being uh, displaced almost all of a sudden, I think has ingrained this either obligation or sense of virtue to make sure that we always 
everybody uh, around them feels taken care of, but also that you might not get another moment. And so even our excursions to the mountains uh, in San Fernando Valley, that's where my grandparents relocated uh, in the early nineties were like an event. She would make sure that we had all the essentials from the nuts to the seed mixes to um, our desserts. She always had a thermos of perfectly brewed Arabic coffee, um, some tea for the non-coffee drinkers. And uh, it was really fun to just make those excursions because it was like a big picnic or a big feast every time we went. And I know you mentioned also that you see that hospitality as sort of living through you now. How do you see yourself channeling that in the work that you do and at Reams? The thing that I really appreciate about my grandmother, but just all folks who've experienced struggle is that ability to create this sense of abundance and uh, feeling taken care of even when you have so little. And I think Mm -hmm. that that really is the ethos of Reams is that our community is what we have. You know, we might be this scrappy little restaurant (laughs) um, that is really bootstrapping it, but we have this richness of community and we really try to take care of that community and bread is really a transcendent food that you know transcends all cultures everybody loves bread everybody feels the warmth of bread and feeling feels taken care of and so I really chose to build my business model around this fresh baked bread because you can do so much with fresh baked bread you can put anything and everything on it Mm -hmm. that's kind of related to my grandmother's spirit, that sense of resourcefulness too. Like when we have leftover bread, we reincorporate that into, into the fatouche salad or the mm-hmm. fete or the different you know bread puddings that you can make. There's a resourcefulness to it that I really love. I think that Arab hospitality has this true feeling of warmth, but also this grit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I really carry my grandmother and my grandfather, who is an amazing entrepreneur in his own right, Uh, that sort of grit that we're going to make it no matter what people really gravitate towards that and love that about reams and, and the work that we do. Yeah. And even, even the smell of baking bread, it's like nothing could be more welcoming walking into a place. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your new book, Arabia. Uh, What was it that made you want to write this particular book right now? Arabia really is a sudden epiphany for me that I needed to write a love letter to my people. Mm -hmm. And my people in the broadest sense of the word, whether it's Arabs who are living like me in diaspora, disconnected from the homeland, uh, or communities that I've worked with and organized with that have seen their communities change right before their very eyes. I wanted to celebrate all those people who are trying to find a sense of home in a time where home is a very elusive thing. And for me, this is a story of coming to my purpose through food. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd come on the scene in 2015, this little small but mighty farmer's market operation where we were baking our breads and You know, I had this very small dream of having an Arab bakery. And then before I knew it in 2017, 2018, we had 
been recognized on the national scene. And I just felt like my narrative was getting away from me a little bit. So I wanted to reclaim that narrative. And it was my time to come out, if you will, uh, with all my vulnerabilities, um, all of my triumphs and stories that I've learned over the course of the last 10 years on this journey of food uh, that has brought me to where I am today. So really, I was at this moment in my life where I felt like I wanted to tell that story because I felt like the public was telling it for me more than I was comfortable with. And it was the time. It was the time I feel like, you know, Arabs have been misunderstood so much in this country. And here I had the chance to really shine light on how beautiful this culture is and how we tell our story of resilience and hospitality through our foodways. And particularly for me as an Arab woman, the title of the book is called Arabia, which translates to Arab woman, to really challenge stereotypes and notions of what an Arab woman is. So, yeah, it's both personal, but a, a bigger purpose of shining light on, on the big issues that people in diaspora in general face, but particularly Arabs in America. Do you think of it as half memoir, half cookbook? Yeah. I mean, I really wanted to write a memoir, but people yeah. wanted the cookbook. So <laughs> there you are. <laughs> people want more than just food these days. And yeah, there was a trend at one time where it's like, no, don't mix too much memoir with food. But I think things have really changed. People open up cookbooks to learn the stories. And mm-hmm. isn't food that just much more delicious when you know the story behind it and you can connect to the person who is sharing this wisdom and this knowledge. So I think it's part memoir, part cookbook, but it's also a documentation of my family's history. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really beautiful too. Um, The fact that I get to tell a story that was untold. I feel like I'm paying respect to the people who struggled before me, who may have never gotten to tell their story in their lifetime. You know, my grandma was certainly one who didn't talk a lot about her triumphs and her struggles you know, she she cooked and she took care of people. And so her food gets to tell that story now. We will be right back with more with Chef Reem Asil. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. And we're back with Chef Reem Asil, author of Arabia. We should talk about your fatouche salad because um, yes. you mentioned 
the resourcefulness of of having all of this fresh baked bread and, and the hospitality that comes with that. But then you're also left with, you know, inevitably there's some stale bread. Um, mm-hmm. What is the story behind this uh, Fatouche salad that you included in the book? One of the things that I really learned as I was, there's no right word, discovering California cuisine and understanding how people cook with seasonality. Cause I was an East coast kid, so I didn't have any of that mm. uh, reference point, but the more I understood vegetables, the more I asked questions of folks who cook Arab cuisine. And the more I discovered actually Arabs approach cooking the same way and they approach food the same way. It's really based on seasonality. You know, the the places and the terrains that my family is from is right on the Mediterranean. The climate is very similar to California. So it's no surprise that, you know, vegetable forward dishes and seasonality is a big part of how we approach food. And uh, with the fatouche salad, I always grew up on it as, you know, the, the, the tomatoes we get from the grocery store and the cucumbers. And I, I have these memories that uh, are instilled in me, either from my grandmother or my mother. I can't remember who. But like that getting a bite of every single thing in your mouth, that sort mm-hmm. of party of flavors, that's what makes a good fatouche salad. Fatouche mm-hmm. is literally this mixture right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, of these, of these ingredients. Uh, so that is the spirit in which I approach the fatouche salad. So if tomatoes are not in season, what can we do to create that perfect mix of the bite of each vegetable uh, in a bite? And then the thing that brings them all together, it's really the two things. It's the flavor of bites, but then the texture. Mm-hmm. I would compare the fatouche salad to an Arab panzanella, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's that those pita, fried pita rusks uh, that uh, that bring texture to the salad, but also absorb the flavor of the unifying vinaigrette that ties mm-hmm. all of these flavors together. And that's the pomegranate garlic vinaigrette. And it's just such a magical dressing that, you know, I don't know how traditional it is. I, I grew up knowing pomegranate really connects everything. But I think when... It was pomegranate season here in California when I started to make the fatou salad that I really understood that pop of tart um, mm. and the sumac, the, 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 the sour notes uh, really make all those vegetables that more vibrant. Uh, so at Reams, we really try to we call it the California fatou salad because we try to celebrate whatever is in season in that particular time. So that means if we're in the winter, you know, our fatouche salad is going to look much different. It's going to have, you know, or citrus segments and fried sunchokes, and you may not be able to get that tomato um, mm-hmm. in the winter. So we try to really celebrate that right now. We have pickled cherries uh, in our salad, in our fatouche yeah. salad at Reims. So we try to have fun with it because it's it's really about that perfect balance of all of the vegetables, that crunch, the texture, and then that unifying vinaigrette that brings it all together. I also love the trick of you tossing half of the pita chips with the dressing and then tucking half in after it's dressed. Mm-hmm. What's the texture that you're looking for there? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very chefy <laughs> trick. <laughs> 
That's how we do it on uh, in our restaurant, you know, just to kind of like really enforce that flavor, not have to wait for it. So you get that perfect texture of the vinaigrette being concentrated into the pita chips and, and the bite, but then also the crunch. You know, those crunchy pita chips also are just another element of crunch that separate the vegetables from each other. So um, aesthetically, it looks really beautiful, but it makes every vegetable really distinct and they're not just clumping up all together. Yeah, it's nice to have that interruption from the extra yeah. crunchy bits. The dressing, um, I was so delighted by how incredibly complex it tastes for how few ingredients it calls for and how mm-hmm. easy it is to keep those ingredients on hand because they're just kind mm-hmm. of like pantry staples. Um, and it does seem like the pomegranate molasses is really the crux of that, right? Yeah, I always say, I mean, I set it up in the book, get the pomegranate molasses uh, or make your own at home. It's super, super easy. All you have to do is reduce pomegranate juice and a little bit goes such a long way. What are some of your other favorite ways to use pomegranate molasses in the book? We use it in so many places. I think uh, the backdrop of dips, Mm -hmm. drizzling it in garnishes. We love that sweet and savory mix and a lot of Arab cuisine. Um, so definitely in our mohamra, it's that secret ingredient behind the roasted red pepper that makes it really pop. I love putting it on uh, mutabal, which Americans know as baba ganoush, but also just on eggplant. It's like a mm-hmm. great contrast mm-hmm. for eggplant. I use it in chicken. I use it in a lot of meat applications. The the tart with the with meat is really good in it pairs really well with warming spices. Uh, it gives that sort of balancing note of brightness. And yeah, I suppose you could put it in some sweet stuff too. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what are you most hoping for cooks and readers to take away from Arabia? Well, first and foremost, I hope that anyone who picks up this book uh, feels inspired by it in some way. The From the recipes to the stories, I think there's some personal things that anyone can relate to and maybe it'll help them uh, expand their idea of Arab cuisine and eat more Arab cuisine. I guess that's the second the second takeaway that I hope that people have from this is that this cuisine is really accessible and anybody can really approach it. It's very approachable. I wanted to make sure that this book didn't feel foreign to anyone, that they could Mm -hmm. get the ingredients, um, you know, that there were options for substitutes if they didn't have the ingredient um, and that it's healthy and vibrant and you can do it with very few ingredients and it it doesn't have to be so complicated that you can do a lot with very little. I guess the third one is hopefully it'll inspire them to host a little. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the recipes are made uh, in the format of hosting a dinner party, bringing your friends over. This book is really a an homage to Arab hospitality. So I know that all of us are trying to find our rhythm in our dance of hospitality. And hopefully this will be an easy way to add a few of those in your mix when you host your next dinner party. The cover image is such a perfect reflection of that, too. Of, Absolutely. Um, unmolding yeah that's a matlube which Mm -hmm. is just an iconic i mean celebratory palestinian dish every palestinian knows it from all around the world and everybody has their a different version of how they do it but it's it's celebratory and it's communal and actually that wasn't the intended 
cover, but we had so much fun shooting that that、uh. was like this captures the spirit of because it's participatory, right?、Mm-hmm. Like everybody is involved with it. It's not like you're back in the kitchen doing and serving, and it's, you know, hospitality is not this transactional thing, but this experience that everybody is taking part in. So, and it's always too much food. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that you describe in the book how it's always sort of the anticipation of how is it going to come out. Like it, it may or may not unmold in, in a perfect stack, but it doesn't really matter because the first spoonful will break it apart anyway.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, the nonetheless, like that, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like don't be too hard on yourself. It takes a whole life to master, but、mm-hmm. still delicious, guaranteed. <laughs> and nonetheless, everyone around the table in that shot is like. Is cheering? Yeah, it's. I love. It's、awesome. a very. It feels like a very unique cookbook cover. Thank you. Yeah, we wanted to do something much different,、uh, and you know, not taking ourselves too seriously either. But it's like the old school with the new school. You know how so? You know the textures of our linens to、mm-hmm. you know the. I mean, it's like people from all walks of life represented in that、um, on that table.、Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that hospitality is for everyone. You know, everybody is welcome at the Arab table,、um, and you know the La Crusette orange, like、mm-hmm. that pop of orange.、Uh, this is a very, very old school dish, but we're you know I, I chose to make it a vegetarian dish, which、mm-hmm. which is very new school. <laughs>、um, <laughs> but that idea that food is ever evolving, and the way that we celebrate it, the spirit always stays the same, but how that's celebrated, or who's at the table, and What they're wearing or what they're doing can change, and that's great, and that's okay, you know. Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Reem Asil for sitting with me for this episode. Be sure to check out her book Arabia: Recipes from the Life of an Arab in Diaspora. And if you're in the San Francisco area, Reem's is a must visit. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory. Executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post production by Crutch Freight Studios. If you have a forever favorite salad dressing, I would love to hear about it at geniusatfood52.com, or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five star rating or review. Or just send this episode to someone who needs to know the simple joys of making their own fatouche year-round. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. <laughs>